I have the privilege of introducing the speaker this morning, and um, this is a guy that uh, I know and love, and we served on staff together. In fact, we have a picture to prove it. I was reminiscing, I don't know if you can see that really well, but um, I was looking back through some old pictures, and I came across this, and that is uh, Hannah, the children's pastor here, throwing a football, looking angry, and then you see Kevin here with an awkward stare with his hat on backwards, David, myself, and then Ryan, who planted branches up north. Uh, David planted Emmaus in uh, the Perry area, hence on the front cover of the bulletin, the Perry with the Emmaus logo. Um, They planted, well, actually, they left staff June two years ago, correct? And uh, in September two years ago, is when uh, Emmaus launched in the Perry area, and God has been doing some incredible things there. We have been wanting for a long time to have David come back and not only just share uh, the scriptures with us, but also to give us an update on just how God has used them and uh, Emmaus in that particular neighborhood. And uh, we're grateful to have him back and excited for this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll welcome him. God, we're just excited about what you have been doing uh, through us as a community, but even more as we welcome David back, we're uh, just thrilled about how you have been moving in the lives of people in the Perry area. God, continue to work uh, in outstanding ways, and may you receive honor and glory for everything that happens. I pray that you would guide David's words this morning, give him uh, just clear thought as he communicates out of First John. May we be challenged by what your words say to the church. And uh, God, we're just grateful to have him here. Thanks so much for all you do in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome with me, David Vaughn. Thank you for the clap. It's so nice to go somewhere where they clap for you. It's awesome. That picture makes a lot of sense because if a football team ever wanted a guard and a uh, center, it would be Russ and I. You can tell by our stature. Um, I'm excited to be back here today. Uh, really, Actually, really, really excited because I still call New Community my home church, and it will be my home church forever. Uh, the two, two and a half years that we spent here were two and a half great years that really shaped and molded us. And then this church plant in the Perry District that we've done uh, is a direct connection to you guys Uh, and everything that you guys have meant to us and been to us. So I am very, very excited about being here. I knew I was back home when I was standing in the back and Asia walked by and insulted me. I felt, (laughs) yes, I'm back at New Community. Nothing's changed. It's it's all good. Um, Two years ago, uh, like Russ said, we uh, kind of left staff and, and started working. I mean, even while we were on staff, we were working towards planting Emmaus in the, the Perry District. And uh, throughout the summer leading up into September, we started to get more focused and, and centralized on it. And I was kind of reflecting back I was, as I was coming here, and I thought back to our last Sunday service at New Community. Uh, and it was, it was really a great, great service where they commissioned us and Ryan. Uh, they let people get up and say really awesome things about us and how great we were and all of that. And people wrote us cards and notes and, and encouraged us and loved us. And I remember just being in that service and kind of loving every minute of it 
And then also coming to the realization, I don't know that I want this to end. Uh, I mean, one, it's nice that people say nice things about you, but the reality that, wow, after the service is over, we have to leave and go do this thing, not completely on our own, but definitely not in the same environment that we had been. And I remember the Monday after that Sunday, we had our building and we were working on it and getting things fixed and put together and all of that. And I remember going to that building and having from Sunday the greatest feeling of warmth and acceptance and encouragement to this incredible feeling of loneliness and almost, I would say, emptiness and definitely a ton of fear of what is around the corner and what's going to happen. Uh, at that point, it was too late to go back on it and say, no, we don't want to. So we launched and I brought a few pictures just in case I'm too boring. Maybe the pictures will help. That was actually our first ever service at Emmaus. We're on the corner of 12th and Perry. We were blessed with this building that originally was a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall, and then another church uh, had it, and they closed their doors right about the time that we were talking about planting, and it worked out for us to have it. And so that was our first ever service, the small group that kind of met together, and we, we had no idea what to expect or what was going to happen, uh, and it just kind of took off. Uh, we, we had people show up, which was awesome and, and really cool, and we became connected really quick. And then I don't know how many of you guys know the full story of what happened with me, but I'm just going to take a, a couple minutes to tell you. Uh, we, we planted in September, and in October, I started feeling really, really weird, is the only way that I can put it. I was really fatigued, really tired. Um, I was having a hard time waking up in the morning. As soon as I'd wake up, I'd think, oh, I can't wait till I get to go back to bed again. <laughs> And all I could remember was Rob telling me about the first church he planted and he got, he went through depression and he like wanted to sleep all the time and didn't want to get out of bed. And, and I remember feeling this, they're thinking this thought of like, am I, am I getting depressed? Is that what's going on with me? And I, I, I said to myself, I go, I, I think I'm happy, but <laughs> I, I want to sleep all the time. It doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden I started itching for no reason, like no rashes, no nothing, just started itching and really, really tired. And, and then I thought I was having a mental breakdown. I thought I am losing it. And I was scared to go to the doctor because I was afraid I was going to go in there going to say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just really weird that you itch and want to sleep all the time. And so I finally did go to the doctor. And one of the things that you never want to have happen is the doctor to call you right back after they read your blood tests and tell you to come back immediately. Uh, that's what they did to me. So that was exciting and found out that I, I had something severely wrong with my liver. They didn't know what, what, what it was. But really, from the time I went to the doctor uh, for that, about within two weeks, I just really crashed. I started to turn yellow. Uh, went completely jaundiced. At one point, I looked more like Bart Simpson than an actual human. Uh, I coached track at Ferris, and when the tr high school girls saw me, my last name's Vaughn, they started calling me Vondis, uh, which, which I think is their way of encouraging and lovingly letting me know <laughs> they're there with me. Uh, life got really, really hard. Uh, and this is literally a month and a half after we planted the church. By the time December hit, I could barely walk. 
uh, because of all of the toxins and, and crap in my body, literally, uh, everything going, going on. Uh, I spent most of the first six months of our church plant just laying on my couch, staring at my wall. Um, it was difficult because we didn't start a church to have a bunch of people take care of us, but that's what happened. Uh, people took care of us and really cared and loved for us well. Um, and the really difficult thing was they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving, I met with a specialist, and he told me, he said, well, you just need to be prepared to uh, possibly fly over to uh, the UW uh, hospital on the spur of the moment to get an emergency liver transplant if things keep going the way they're going. <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, that doesn't sound right to me. Uh, but, but that's what happened. Fortunately, We've, after a lot of tests and trials and figuring out, they figured out that I had autoimmune hepatitis, which just means my own body was attacking my liver. So they put me on some medicines. Things started to get a little bit better, but that had its own ramifications. By the time springtime happened, and this is still within our first year of church planting, uh, because of the medicines, because of all of that, I ballooned up to 215 pounds. I could have then played guard or center for a football team. <laughs> I, we brought, I brought a picture of that. Just that, That's me in the back corner, the guy that looks like I want to eat somebody or something. <laughs> during, during that time, I actually ran into Asia at a track meet. I'm like, Asia! And, and he looks at me like he has no idea who I am. And then about 30 seconds go, goes by and he goes, David? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, man. <laughs> Again, just the encourager that, that he is. Um, when I was like that, I actually started to feel, I was starting to feel better because of all the drugs that they were pumping me on with and all that. And then trying to go off the drugs and do all that and get healthy and figure all that out. Uh, as I was coming back down off the drugs, things flared right back up. And we're talking about May or June of last year, so about a year ago, I was driving in Spokane and I just had this thought of, I'm going to die. And it wasn't one of those thoughts of like, I'm going to die someday. It was, I'm, I think God's getting me ready to die soon. That put me in a really bad spiral. Still trying to lead a church plant from scratch and, and all of that. Have my wife and three, three daughters uh, coaching, trying to do all of these things. And I just kind of closed up and went into really this dark place of I'm, I'm going to die pretty soon. And all I could think was that sucks really bad. Um, it was really, really challenging. Uh, Monica and I, my wife, went to uh, Christian Associates last June in Minnesota, this conference. And, and we got there, and, and she knew. I mean, it, for how difficult it was on me, it was way more difficult on her because she literally had to take care of me. She had to help me uh, some mornings even get dressed and go through all that stuff, plus our kids, plus work. Plus, it, it was just really challenging. And we got there, and it was this moment of, of wow, we have been through a lot this year. And, and, and she said to me, she goes, you haven't said much the past few weeks um, and then she goes, are you afraid you're going to die? 
And that was like the worst question she could ask because I either had to completely lie or start to let all of this go and process. So I lied. No, I'm just kidding. I, I said, yeah, that's actually exactly what I'm afraid of. And uh, through that and her, our, our relationship and then that, even that conference and some people that came into our lives, we were able to process through and, and walk through that. And, and I, I wouldn't suggest that that's how you go about planting a church um, in the first year. But the one thing that I can say is that God has been so incredibly gracious to me, to my family, to my kids, to our church, to our community. Uh, it's been really, really amazing. One of the most awesome things that we were able to see right from the start in getting sick like that is that this church plant wasn't about me. It wasn't about how great of a leader I could be, how charismatic I could be, the things that I could do and the things that I could accomplish, because really I wasn't doing anything. We're a month and a half into it and everybody else just took over and made things happen. And the coolest things happened because we realized that this wasn't a church that just gathers on Sunday and does the church thing, but it's actually a group of people on mission to the Perry District. And whether I'm there or not, they are just going to stay on mission to the Perry District and do their thing. I remember coming back after our conference. Yeah, you can clap for that. That is a good... A good thing. It, when we came back from the Christian Associates Conference, we talked with our leadership group and just said, you know, we need to restructure our schedules to make our lives a little bit healthier. Said so one of the people even suggested we take a sabbatical. We don't really feel like that's what we're going to do right now. And, and one of the leaders said, you know what? Go do whatever you need to do. We're just fine without you. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't take it in a negative way. I took that in a really positive way of we're going to be on mission, we're going to reach people for Christ, whatever you need to do, go and do, and when you're healthy enough to join us, jump right back in. And to see God work and, and, and experience His love, His graciousness, His kindness through that was just excellent. Um, the other thing that it allowed us to do in the Perry District was to spend time listening to the community. Because I kind of had these plans and thoughts and things that we would go and do. And then a month in, all of a sudden, I'm too sick to even go necessarily to meetings and different things like that. And we just kind of paused everything and embedded and became a part of the community. And I, I would never say that God made me sick so that that would happen. But it was a great result out of that sickness that we learned the school right across the street from us, 81%, I think, free and reduced lunch. We were able to just build this relationship with them, not of we, need, we want to do a bunch of things and proselytize you and do all of that. We just want to be here with you. Um, we were able to develop a relationship with Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church, who we're just super close with and tight with. Now, we do combined services with them. Uh, they've had me in to preach there. Uh, our building's not big enough to have them over to us, so when we do things, we do it in the park together. Um, the two churches, we're 
a block and a half away from each other and we're reaching the Perry District together, even though we're two completely different tribes, uh, we're working together in a really, really awesome way. The, the businesses, the um, neighborhood association, we've just been able, I've been shocked at how much influence and relationship we've developed in such a short amount of time. And a big part of that was we were forced to take this posture of we're here to listen and just be a part and hear from you guys and see how we can love and give to you. And it's just been this great, great experience. The other thing that happened throughout this time, and this may sound a little strange to you, uh, it actually feels a little embarrassing and awkward to me, but throughout this process, I realized that we planted a church And I didn't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I understood church work. I understood ministry. I understood preaching. I understood uh, telling people how to live better lives, to be more moral, to be better behaved, to get their act together. But I came to this realization that I didn't understand the simple gospel of Christ. And it's actually shaped me into the reality that I'm more convinced than ever, whether you're outside the church or inside the church, that we don't understand the gospel of Christ. Or maybe we don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am sure that I was a lot like some of you in this room where mentally I would agree to it and I could say the right things and make all the right doctrinal statements, but practically I didn't believe it in the way that I lived, the way that I acted it out. And that's why this works out perfect and I'm so excited to be able to be with you guys today as we're going through the book of 1 John. Uh, we're going to look at verses five, uh, chapter 1 verses 5 through chapter 2 verses 2 because John's message in this passage is a reaffirmation of the simplistic gospel that Christ came to proclaim. And so I want to read through the the whole section here and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. This little slice of passage from John, this this message that he was saying and writing to the followers of Christ, this simple message that that really, if you take it, can be boiled down to this. The, The world is full of darkness. 
God is light. We are sinners. Christ died for us. Really, really simple. And I don't doubt that all of us in this room would come to the agreement and say, yeah, I can affirm that. That, that is true. That's, that's what I believe. But all too often, those truths don't have a bearing in how we live out our life in real time and in real terms. See, John's talking to the believers and he's saying this truth is actually really simple but profoundly life-changing. It alters everything for good. John talks about how because of this truth, you can have fullness of joy, freedom from sin, relationships with the brothers and sisters, and this vibrant life with Christ. But I think that we have a belief system while John had a relationship with Christ. And to be fair, John met Christ, knew Christ, lived with Christ, uh, saw Him die, saw Him resurrected, saw the ascent. He, he got to experience much of Christ. But the reality for us today is this simple truth still holds true. It still holds power. And it actually allows Christ's love, Christ's presence, Christ's forgiveness to be just as real to us today as it was to John back when he originally wrote this. I want today to take a second look at this simple message. Who God is, who we are, and what Christ has done. And I hope that as we talk about it, it will challenge you to to what you truly believe and how you respond to that. Who is God? Because that's where John starts this message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Who or what is God? Think about it for a minute. If you had to describe God's most popular virtue today in our world and our culture, what would it be? If, you, if, if somebody said to you, who's God? What is God? Maybe a couple people shout a few answers out. What, what would the response be? Maybe it's not necessarily your response, but what would the popular thoughts in today be? Who or what is God? Grace, love, kindness. Savior. What? Truth. Spirit. Old man with a beard. Exactly what I think. All of those answers are true and correct. They can all be affirmed. Well, maybe the old man with a beard. I don't know. Russ can weigh in on that later. Um, I think the most popular virtue of God in our society is love. God is love. God's grace. God's mercy, which is completely true. And I think you can really kind of go anywhere in the U.S. today, not even church, and talk about God as love. And it's actually pretty popular and pretty acceptable. People like that message. They, they like to hear it. John starts with God as light. And in Him is no darkness at all. What he's saying is that God is holy. Holy. And He's righteous. 
In Him is no sin, no darkness. He is perfect. And while I agree that God is love, when we stop there, we actually neuter the power that God has for our lives and for us. That understanding falls so short of what He really is and who He truly is because He is perfect. In Him is no darkness. And if we don't start there, we miss the fullness of who God is because for us to truly understand His love, we first have to understand His holiness. Because without a righteous standard, His love is actually pretty meaningless. What is one of the criticisms that people give Christians today in the church is they say, your God's so judgmental. He's, he's so mean. He's so rigid. He's so tight. This righteousness, this holiness. I would argue back that their God or their version of God and this love is so impotent and weak because there is no righteousness. Because love really isn't love if it doesn't cost something. And so we are able to look and see what it cost God to establish our righteousness and know that it cost Him something. And if we don't understand His righteousness, the impossibility of the circumstance that we're in, we'll never be moved by His grace, His love, His mercy. We, we may be thankful for it and we may appreciate it, but it will never move us and change us. A week and a half ago, or maybe a week ago, we were driving in our car with our three girls, and uh, two of them were arguing with each other, one of our twins and then one of our, our youngest one. And Monica said, enough. I've had enough of the arguing. I'm done. Move on. And our youngest says, you know what we should do? I said, no, what? What should we do? She said, we should get mom bucks. And every time we don't argue, you give us a mom buck, and then we can turn that in for real money when we've accumulated enough. And, my, and one of our other daughters like, you learned that from the Super Nanny or whatever show, I don't know. My response was, so you want me to pay you to behave is what you're... And she's like, yeah, sounds good. And I, I said, Ava, do we not like, take good enough care of you? Do we not provide enough for you? Have we not done... What haven't we done for you, Ava? And she goes, well, I don't have a flat screen in my bedroom. <laughs> which, which is Ava. I mean, that describes her perfectly. Uh, and, and I said, I, said I, I think in a moment of brilliance, I don't know, I'm still playing it out. But I said, so I'll tell you what. If you can be perfect for a month, we'll get you a flat screen in your room. And... Some kids would be like, oh, that's impossible. Ava was like, what do you mean by perfect? <laughs> Which made me realize I'm just raising a Pharisee, because that's exactly <laughs> what a Pharisee would have said at that point. So we talked about what it means to be perfect, and I see this brilliant plan playing out of her trying to be perfect and realizing how impossible that is. And then this conversation happening, one, yeah, in life how impossible that is, but that's also the situation that we're in with Christ. 
In her first day, she woke up before she even said good morning to us and went straight to the kitchen and started washing dishes. Started getting everything clean. Put all of her stuff away. And doing all of these different things What to try to earn this reward, this gift, this thing. Isn't that what we tend to do with God? We think that somehow our righteousness, our work, our efforts can accumulate enough so that God then somehow is pleased and we're okay. We can generate enough light on our own that we can then walk with Him. It's impossible for her to be perfect, much less a month, a, a week, a day. Even that night, after the next morning when she woke up, I said, were you perfect yesterday? She looked at me and she goes, yep. And I said, that's funny because you left your flip-flops in the living room when you went to bed. And <laughs> you could just see the, oh. <laughs> It's impossible. It's so much more impossible for us. But until we come to grips with the righteousness of Christ, of God, we won't understand the situation that we're truly in. I would encourage you, look back throughout the Bible at people that had encounters with God. When Isaiah met God, he was undone. When Peter has this experience with Jesus, when Moses, they were undone. And the reason why is when God's righteousness is understood and revealed, it shines the light on who we truly and really are. And that's the second thing that we have to come to grips with who we are. Once we begin to see who God really is, we see who we are. And that's what uh, John says in verses 8 through 10. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The bottom line is we are sinners. And I know that we would all verbally agree to that. We would doctrinally agree to that. But practically, I think we disagree with that statement. Because in our mind and in our hearts, we say, yeah, yeah, I struggle I struggle with things, and, and technically, I'm, I'm a sinner, but in reality, I'm actually a pretty good person. I do a lot of good things. I'm, I'm not as bad as this person or that person, and, and the heresy that D John was dealing with is not that much different than our own personal heresy that we live with day in and day out. We're just much more clever and subtle and cloak it in, in rational logic by comparing ourselves to others and, and thinking that we can do things to earn it. When I put on all of that weight, I had to make a decision to, to get back into shape and lose all of that weight. And one of the things that started to happen as I started to lose that weight, I would look in the mirror and like think, oh man, I, yeah, I'm looking pretty good, looking a lot better. And, and then one of the things that started to happen uh, as I would wake up in the morning and and I would look in the mirror and I have really bad eyesight without contacts or glasses and I think, man, I look, I look really good. I'm looking really, really good. But I was just this fuzzy outline. And then I'd put in contacts and be like, oh, oh, not, not quite. We deceive ourselves. 
problems. We see with blurry vision. We, we don't have the glasses that God would have on to look through us. We don't look at us in His light. In the dark, we actually all look pretty decent. We go to a club or somewhere, that a restaurant, that, that the lights aren't bright. Everybody looks pretty good. But when God's light... Sounds like a lot of people were at the club last night. I don't know. <laughs> when God's light shines on us, we see who we really, really are. And this is so important for the quote-unquote righteous. Because one of Jesus' central messages when He was here was to the religious or to the righteous. And it was the problem with you is you're blind and you don't even know it. We spent eight weeks going through the the parable of the prodigal son. We called it the two lost sons. And one of the things that we talked about is how Jesus redefined sin and that our righteous good works, our self-righteous good works, are just as deadly as the person that's out living it up, doing whatever they want. We had a lady in our community stand up and it was so amazing she said, when, when you started talking about this parable and we started jumping into this, she goes, it really, really offended me because I, my life was falling apart. So we came to your church to, to make God happy, to you know, maybe get Him to bless us a little bit again so that things wouldn't be as bad. And then you started to talk about how we couldn't earn God's favor. We couldn't do enough good works to get His blessing. And how, I was putting, how people put their trust in all these different things and not in, in Christ. And it's only in Christ that we can find fulfillment and satisfaction. She goes, she goes, it actually really angered me at first. She said, and then I realized that as long as my bank account was full and as long as my husband and, and I weren't fighting and as long as I had my job and this thing and that thing, then everything was fine. I realized I was putting my hope and my trust and all of these different things. And all of that covered up this sin and this depravity in her own lives. One of the statements that we've come fond of saying is that our beautiful sins are just as dark and deadly as our ugly sins. See, the thing that I began to realize over this past couple years is, is it's actually far, far worse than I ever imagined in my own life. This sin problem is much, much deeper than I ever gave it credit for. I thought there was a few actions that I needed to clean up and, and, and kind of discipline myself away from, and then I was okay. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a quote in the book Life in Christ. It says, The question that should confront us all is not simply that we have committed actions that are wrong. No, surely the most important question is, why did I do it? What led me to do it? What is it in me that made me think of it and play with the suggestion? And there is only one answer. There is something wrong within me, myself. My nature is sinful. See, the problem isn't that we lied. The problem is the reason why we're lying. The problem isn't that I'm looking at pornography at night. It's the reason why I'm looking at that pornography. The, the problem isn't that I'm greedy. It's the reason why I'm greedy. Because if it's just some actions, I can discipline myself for a while and, and kind of keep those under control. But unless my heart is changed, unless I'm rescued, unless I'm saved, we so often see sin as actions that we can control, not understanding that it's actually our very nature. And I think John is 
pleading with us to see the true desperation of our situation. See, we don't see God as righteous. We want to temper that. We don't see ourselves as sinful. We, we want to temper that. And then the attitude I had was, well, yeah, I appreciate Jesus coming and giving me salvation, but, I mean, really, honestly, He should want to. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've done some pretty good things. Not realizing that my situation was much more like a man drowning in the middle of the ocean with no boats, no planes, no helicopters for miles and miles trying to tread water on my own. That was the condition that I was in. And when we understand who God is and who we are at our core, that is when Christ can come in and rescue our lives. He says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only are we forgiven, but we're cleansed as well. See, this moves Jesus from being our helper to being our Savior. The one that rescues us. And I would have to admit that I think I spent my first 35 years of life with Christ as my helper. Kind of roughing, or smoothing out the rough edges of my life. Filling in the gaps, the, the places where I needed a little bit of help instead of coming in to rescue me and save my life. See, Jesus' helper actually makes us pretty happy and, and even relatively thankful. Jesus as Savior, as Rescuer, overwhelms us and leads us to nothing but worship. This is the power of the Gospel. John calls it walking in the light. It's not walking according to the light. It's walking in what Christ has done for us. It allows me to acknowledge my sin, to freely admit my failures, my shortcomings, where, where, where I've missed it. I can stop pretending. I can stop lying. I can stop putting on this front and trust that my identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. Christ accomplished it all for us. This is the beauty of the story that John is retelling. The story that Christ came to proclaim. He didn't come to establish a religion that we all just follow Him as an example. Because if that's what it is, we're crushed. We're hopeless. There's no way to do it. There's no way to make it. Jesus didn't come to show us how to strive towards righteousness. He came and lived and strove for us. He didn't come and show us the mountain that we had to climb. He came and climbed it for us. The Gospel isn't instructions on how to live, and it's an announcement on what has been done for us. He lived a perfect life so that I don't have to. He lived the life that I couldn't, died the death that I wouldn't. The simple message, the simple Gospel holds so much power. It has shaped who and what we are at Emmaus. 
We don't want to be seen as the group of people that have put in our lives together, got our act together, and now God is pleased with them. We want to be seen as the people who have been rescued by God. And so we have done and been able to be a part of some awesome things with some Easter egg hunts and Christmas giveaways and, and, and just seeing some incredible stuff happen in the Perry District. But way beyond that, we are so thankful that people are able to come and sit in our community, in our group, and say, I feel welcomed. I feel like I belong. I feel at home. I feel like you guys are just as messed up as I am, but Christ has redeemed you. That is what we want. We're going to take communion. And as we do, I would direct you to the first verse of chapter 2 where John says, I write these things so that you don't sin anymore. Because as that gospel message hits home in our heart, it frees us from the power of sin. When I understand that it's not my work, it's not my effort, it's not the things that I can do, I can stop pretending. I can stop working. I can stop striving. I can stop earning. And I can rest in the blood of Christ that cleanses us and frees us. So as the the band comes and, and we sing a few more songs and you go and take the communion in the front and the back, my prayer and my hope is that you would take some time to think about those three simple things, this gospel message, and allow it to hit home in your life who you are and where you are. Let's pray.